Sports Talk continues with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. And we head to the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline as we always look forward to the opportunity to uh, throw some questions in the direction of SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. He joins us courtesy of A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Gerald, how are you? Doing well, John. How are you and Jimmy? Jimmy there? Yes, Yes, sir. Doing great. I got both of them. Be great. Okay. Uh, Gerald, I wanted to ask you, I don't think it, it comes as much of a surprise, but one of the things over the weekend that was not a pleasant sight from the SEC perspective, the halftime fight with Florida and Missouri, and uh, they fined Dan Mullen uh, $25,000 and gave him a reprimand for his actions. And um, also, the one thing I was curious about, and I think you could answer it, uh, when you have an incident like that, I want to ask you two things. First off, when you have a, a fight at, at halftime like that, the instant replay official can actually view some of the uh, altercations and make determinations on who should be ejected at that time. Is that correct? Well, we can help identify players. The the uh-huh. actual, uh, the way the rule reads, uh, it's up to the on-field officials, but if they if they need help maybe getting a number, we can we can certainly do that as we do sometimes on any other play. Uh, that you know they might need a number of, of uh, a player on a different play. We can help with that, but that determination is is the on field officials. Okay, and then if there are players that are ejected, I believe the SEC came out with this. If players are ejected for the second half for fighting, that also means they have to sit out the first half of the next game. Correct. That is correct, and then also too the uh, any conference that's in the rule book, the conference on in an incident like that. Hopefully, there's not many, but uh, any conference has the the uh, prerogative of you know checking the films that you know after the game to if there's any more penalties warranted and that type of thing. Well, in this case, the SEC did that. They sent out a release about additional players that uh, were going to be punished, suspended, whatever, for the first half of their next game, several from Missouri and several from Florida. So they did exercise that uh, that ability to do that. Do you know how long that has been in place where they uh, are able to go back and, and look at footage of uh, an altercation like that and take action? Do you know that, Gerald? Gosh, Jimmy, it's been years. I mean, back when I was on the field, uh, you know, they've always had – the prerogative to do that, of course, with the advances in the technology, it's uh, it's a little easier now to do that after the fact because typically you have a few more cameras, you have HD, and you get a few more looks than you know back when we first started that. But that uh, it's been several years, but yeah, they mm-hmm. they pretty much always had that ability. It was uh, it was really something to watch it uh, unfold the way it did. Gerald, have you ever been in the middle of a melee like that? Oh, actually, I have. It's been years and years ago, and it was before a ball game, and uh, oh, it was it was a real Donnybrook. It really was. Uh, it was every bit as uh, intense as the one last week, and uh, we uh, we and this wasn't even in the rule book at the time, but we basically. Uh, Got both coaches together and told them, you know, that if 
anything, any any unsportsmanlike or anything like that. Uh, you know, the player was going to be ejected, and uh, you know, of course, we could have we could have actually you know called the game, but uh, we actually were on the phone with the conference office, so they. You know, TV was there, and that's back in the day when that was more rare to have a TV game. So they elected to play it, but we did have a prayer meeting at midfield with both head coaches. Well, um, it was something to learn that if anything happens after the clock has expired in the second quarter, uh, that it officially counts as a second quarter offense. I mean, excuse me, a second half offense. So halftime belongs to the second half. Found that out. And then also... um, we saw some preventive officiating, as uh, as you and, of course, Rocky have always told us. Uh, that's always a, a big thing. But every player was uh, given uh, one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, so anything in the second half would have resulted in an ejection, correct? That is correct. That Every every player on each team had one unsportsmanlike conduct. And, then, you know, the way we rule, which they get a second one, they, they are they – are, uh, uh, ejected from the, and that would be an ejection, not a disqualification. You know, like targeting. So, hmm. uh, but yeah, that uh, we kind of did that 20 years ago, and you know, went out on our own with it. It actually became part of the rule book several years ago. Well, I will say this: uh, Dan Mullen, I think, did receive, but no doubt about it, uh, much needed discipline. Probably should have been fined more than he was by the conference. But I thought he did make a good point. And that is that you didn't see uh, tempers flare after that. So I thought that for as wild a scene as it looked for that point in time, um, it's pretty apparent that the uh, the coaching staff did what they should have during the half to say this is not going to be tolerated and explained, I guess, what would be the, uh, the ramifications if somebody did act up because when you have a, a first half that ends that way, my guess is, Gerald, you've got your radar up all over the place for the, for the third and fourth quarters knowing that uh, anything could be a spark. It, absolutely. It's a powder keg in that situation. And uh, in the game I was alluding to, uh, about the second play from scrimmage, we had a really late dead ball foul. Of course, we ejected the player, but then from then on, we, we didn't have any. Well, I don't think we even had two offsides the rest of the game. Well, that wow. calmed him down, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. It did. Um, it really did. Gerald, I, I don't know how many different games you have been in the replay booth. Um, have you noticed um, a difference in, in – your ability, whether it's a, a game that's on CBS versus some other place where you don't have as many cameras? Oh, uh, it really, from the booth, I don't really see that that much. Okay. Uh, I know, uh, you know, I guess last week we, some one of the callers had mentioned about, you know, if the targeting fouls were down or up or anything this year. And, Oh, uh, we finally got a stat last week on the uh, on the targeting enforcements, and uh, just for what it's worth, uh, through and I guess it was through not this past weekend's games, but you know the week before. But out of 215 games, uh, we had 70 targeting enforcements, and uh, that were you know enforced, and that comes out to just a little. Uh, just a little over one targeting for every three games, so basically one third of a targeting per game. And uh, of those seventy, 
30 of them were initiated from the boot. So, but I think overall, and I think I mentioned it last week, overall, I think the total is down. But that was just the, the stat, you know. Typically, this time of year, we'd have 700 games already played. But, you know, the circumstances, we we gotten in 215. Well, and, and one reason potentially the numbers could be a little bit higher at one point is you didn't used to have targeting initiated from the booth. So uh, when you started that, that might have uh, had a slight spike in the number of targets. Is that correct, targeting? I think, right, Jimmy. I think initially it did go up a little bit, but then I think they realized, you know, not just the eight officials on the field, but there are two of us in the booth that, have that yeah. opportunity. We have a lot better look than the guys on the field. Yes. And, uh, so, and I think it initially went up just because we were calling a few more of them. And but then, you know, they, I think it really sunk in. So it really went down some. And then, you know, last year when they changed the rule where we had to have all three aspects of a targeting call to confirm it on the field, otherwise, you know, to take it off. So that brought it down some too, I think. So, which was good. I mean, we had the stands, which, in practical use, us letting the call stand on the field was the same thing as confirming the outcome was the same. So, with you know, when they took away the option to let a play stand, then it had to be maybe a little more you know black and white, I guess. Okay. I want to ask you about a, a, a ruling regarding forward progress. It happened in an NFL game, but I want to translate that to the college game and get your take. So I'm watching the game sure. last night, and there was a tackle being made uh, by a cornerback against a tight end, and the tight end goes backward by a, a few feet, and the ball is stripped from him, and then the defending team recovers it. And the officials on the field ruled no forward progress. They had not blown the whistle, but they ruled forward progress, to which I had a concern because if if you if he had broken the tackle, then they're going to give him the yards from breaking the tackle. So I didn't understand how you could rule forward progress if a, if a whistle doesn't blow. Let me take that to the college game. How would that be handled? Could you have forward progress in a college game uh, on a potential turnover even if a whistle is not blown? Yeah, Jimmy, I'm getting ready to mess up your world tonight. <laughs> the, the way the rule book reads, and, and officiating, we've known this forever, but there's an axiom in football officiating that the whistle being blown does not kill the ball. The whistle merely indicates that the ball has become dead. So I'm going to read you the rule word for word. Okay. And uh, this it's under the heading of a ball declared dead. It says, a live ball becomes dead, and an official shall sound his whistle or declare it dead. And then it goes on to say that when a ball carrier is held, so this forward progress is stopped. The last word's going to get you, the last sentence. When in question, the ball is dead. Now, what that means, literally, if you've, if you've noticed the line of scrimmage, any official on sidelines or running play, but especially line of scrimmage officials, a lot of times uh-huh. they don't blow their whistle. Uh, and, you, you know, some, with the, these lesser crowds, though, it's easier to tell. But they will raise their hand straight up in the air, you know, just flat palm straight up there. That signals that they're ruling the ball dead. And uh, so 
and there is, sometimes there is a lag when the official decides that you know his forward progress is stopped. And there again, it is a totally judgment call. Uh, when he decides that the forward progress is stopped, he will rule the ball dead. And he may blow his whistle, he may hold his hand up, may do both. So, uh, in you know, in his mind, he's declared the ball dead, and that's the reason that. Uh, that replay can't get involved on a forward progress call. It's a horrible rule. I'm going to call Steve Shaw, and we're going to discuss this. <laughs> I'll give you a number. <laughs> Especially when it goes against New Orleans, maybe. Well, yeah, the Saints. I mean, every rule goes against the Saints. My gosh. It's unbelievable. That was, <laughs> had to that live was, with this for years. Cool. I'm sorry. It, the Saints should change the name to the Devil. Because the Saints don't get any calls. That's right. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna alter that and try to try to help them out there a little you go. bit. <laughs> I just it just threw me off because I'm thinking this guy could break a tackle. So what if he breaks a tackle? So anyway, all right. Well, I know the rule. That 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 is you know that's the risk that in the fishing that's the risk you take literally, is when even when you blow the whistle and declare the ball dead. It's it's just a a rule that the ball's going to come out and the defense is going to fall on, or he's going to thump you know. There's or flip side of that you blow it dead and he breaks off and takes off free you know wide open headed for the goal line. So yeah, oh uh, you know and it's it's one of those things. It's it's just a, a split second deal. You've got to make a call and you know and, and normally it's Murphy's law. If anything can go wrong with it, it will. Yeah. <laughs> so, that is Gerald Hodges, SEC replay official. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900, star 990 is free. For AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers, the toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. More with Gerald coming up. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. This is Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. I'm John Wilkerson with Jimmy Hyams. Our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges, he joins us. uh, Thanks to our friends at A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Tell me, Gerald, when we see, for instance, uh, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss was fine because he tweeted or retweeted criticism of SEC officiating. Is that something that ever shows up on the report? Are you guys aware, or do they perhaps maybe keep that information away from you in terms of if you were working a game at Ole Miss, you you know that a head coach has, uh, has been very public about comments that weren't too favorable about officiating in the conference? Well, I mean, we're aware. We don't, you know, we don't hear it or see it, you know, at the game side. You know, obviously, sometimes it's in the news, but that just that goes, you know, with the territory. I guess everyone has their opinion, but uh, the conference has some very strict rules of 
for officials and uh, other, you know, coaching personnel and anybody else about uh, comments, uh, you know, basically to the media or, mm-hmm. and of course, now social media is the big the big thing. But uh, they all have the, uh, you know, the policy. They have a media policy. So, uh, I mean, it, you know, coaches are going to vent, you know, when when they think they, you know, got a right to. But uh, that's that just that's just part of it. But uh, you know, you you try to do the best you can and go on and not, you know, let that influence you. You can't have thin skin to be an official, so that's easy enough. Well, yeah, that's something I'm sure that gets uh, that gets wiped away early on because you have to literally climb through the ranks to get there. So if you've got thin skin, my guess is you're probably not going to be promoted as as quickly or at all uh, as you would like right. to. Um, yeah, you've having, talked to- having rabbit ears will shorten your career <laughs> quite a bit, but there there was a there was a really famous uh, beer commercial on TV several years ago. You know, everybody probably remember the brand, but it talked about how the official could take such abuse on the sidelines, and it showed a uh, a clip of him at home with his wife, kind of getting on him a little bit. So that that explained it. So uh, <laughs> that's how they, they get practice for the, listening to the coaches on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> you and Jimmy have talked about it. It is a little different this year because you may not have as many camera angles. And I know that at times, uh, while the people at home might wind up seeing the perfect replay that would correct or confirm a situation that you might not be able to be presented that same replay do you run into many technical glitches, or is that something that continues to improve year after year, and that is a minimal number of glitches to where you might not get to see an angle that, that viewers at home might see? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, it has improved. This year, this year is a different year, though. You know, the, the cameras are down, I guess, across the league. Uh, the uh, couple of networks, do have several more cameras than others, but where where it runs the risk is when you have a whole lot of cameras. If you have a whole lot of cameras, it's hard to look at all those angles from the booth, you know, while you're trying to you make a decision. But if you only have five or six, then it doesn't take long to eliminate the two or three or four that are useless to you, you know. So you just have to focus on the ones that give you the best angle. So. Uh, but it, it eliminates getting some really good shots, obviously. And uh, but you know, in some games, uh, if you count the pylon camera, you've got eighteen or twenty cameras. Where in others, you know, if you don't, of course, that counts as twelve. There's three of them in a pylon, so that is just that is a really a good situation. And uh, but in most of them now, you'll get five or six, you know, cameras. So. Uh, but like I said, it's easier, and then you do get some, you know, some in-stadium cameras that will help you some. But uh, the toughest ones uh, are, you know, where you're limited on the number of cameras, and you don't mm-hmm. have a car cam that runs up down the sideline at the line of scrimmage. Is where you get a uh, you get a long breakaway run, say 30, 30 or forty yards to the goal line, and there's no camera down there. It always happens that, you know, they'll tackle them right at the goal, and you've got to decide if the ball was across the goal line for the knee hit. Typical, you know, was he in or not, or was he short? So those are the tough ones. Let's get a call from Randy, who joins us. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Randy. Hello, John and Jimmy and Gerald. I hope you all are doing well today. Yes, sir. Doing well, Randy. 
Good. Hey, on that Florida-Missouri game, if um, things had escalated even further, could there be a situation there where you have a double forfeit? Uh, that is a good question. That is a conference you know, uh, decision. Uh, I mean, if it just actually got so bad any game, you know, you have the option to suspend the game, absolutely. Uh, you know, it becomes a safety factor. So uh, that, uh, that would I had be, a, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I had a situation 40 years ago, about February of 1980, when I was uh, AD for Smyrna, Georgia, Parks and Recreation Department in Metro Atlanta. We were having the finals of our city. That's a dangerous occupation, Parks and Rec. Go ahead. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 it really was. I thought I was going to get hung that night. But anyhow, um, it was February of 80. I remember pretty well. Matter of fact, I think it's Valentine's Day. But anyhow, um, we were having the finals of our city basketball tournament. And, of course, we had trophies ready to give to the champion and the runner-up. But... Things were going bad. Uh, just all night, things were going bad. Well, I walked out on the court about three times. I had given them warnings and, and told them that it was going to come to a double forfeit if you guys couldn't play it out and play with sportsmanship. Well, it came to a double forfeit, and uh, I, I called it, and I felt like I did the right thing. I caught a little flack from my bosses, though, because we bought these trophies, real nice trophies, and they said, unattended in our office um, nobody received them and um, you know we spent money and I, I caught a little flack on that but I was just wondering if you could have a double forfeit in, in a situation in college football or basketball if fans come on the court or whatever I would think Randy that and it may, and I'm not sure of that but I would think probably they would just end up ruling it no contest uh, but yeah. it's it, I guess it depends on if you know if you had to have a result of a game. That's you know, of course one reason uh, the overtime came in to eliminate the ties so they could have a definite winner. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it it could be just a you know a no contest, or it could actually be a loss for both teams. I guess. So uh, fortunately, right. we have right. to that point in you know <laughs> in college ball anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I appreciate it. That sounds reasonable, no contest or maybe even a loss for both teams. I don't think we'll ever see that, and I don't know if we've ever seen that in college sports, but uh, I just, <clears throat> I was just curious about that after my situation a long time ago. I was just wondering if you could have that. But uh, Hey, whatever happened to those trophies, right Randy? Thing. Yeah, I think I, you did the right thing. I really do. Did you get those what, trophies what, out the next year? I guess, Jimmy, I don't know. I thought they were going to make me pay for them out of my pocket. <laughs> uh, it's a little I didn't lose my job over that because those trophies were pretty expensive. But I, I held on to my job. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Randy, thank yes, you. Sir. We'll get a break. We've got one more segment with Gerald coming up. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. This is Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. Turn us up and embarrass the Alabama fan that sits in the next cubicle. This is 99.1, the sports animal.
final segment to our, uh, well, today's edition of Sports Talk, hour number four. I want to remind you that Big Orange Hotline comes your way at 8 o'clock this evening, courtesy of the Ball Network, so stay tuned for that. But we have a little more time with Gerald Hodges. If you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900. It's Tom who joins us next. Hello, Tom. Ah, Tom, we appreciate you calling in. Sorry we didn't get to you in time. 656-9900. Gerald, there was a, a situation where the uh, American Athletic Conference came out and had the, the fateful announcement that there, were, uh, there was a huge mistake that was made in the East Carolina-Tulsa game. And it, this was a situation that I think collaborative replay could have helped. And that was, uh, it, it was ruled that, let's see, it was ruled on the field, if I got this right, that a runner, a running back had fumbled and actually, no, had, uh, let's see. It was ruled on the field that the running back had fumbled. Replay went in and looked at it and said that he did not fumble. And it was, uh, and it looked like that video afterward was pretty clear that he had indeed. But Tulsa was able to retain possession and go on and win the game and so the conference had to come out i'm sure it was it's one of those statements that uh, that you hate to see in the conference you're working for that um, that a significant error was made um what i mean how much how vital has collaborative replay come become in having just another set of eyes that could help uh, a situation like that as opposed to it all resting on the shoulders of one individual well that uh, obviously you know the SEC has collaborative. It, it's been a big help uh, in lots of ways. I think that it it shortens sometimes the review times. But the the problem you run into, uh, and I don't know. I guess that would make I don't know what conference that is. They it, they must not have collaborative. But there are some times when you just don't get the shots, and we hope that the producers and most of them do. Uh, we ask them to send us every shot they have on a, a on a review, and uh, you know then we you know we will look. And obviously there are a couple shots that aren't going to help you, you know, when they're on the other end of the field or what you know for whatever reason. But uh, uh, what we don't don't want to happen is you know make a decision and then somewhere later another another angle pops up uh, that could happen. But uh, just uh, it just gives three more sets of eyes. It really does, you know, to look at different angles. And, you know, you might, you may be concentrating on a runner's feet, just say on an out-of-bounds play, and, uh, you know, then he may have been bobbling the ball. So, of course, you got to look at the feet and the, and the catch, and there's just three or four different aspects to every replay. So if you got another set of eyes looking at one thing and somebody's looking at something else, you usually pick up anything like that and typically get it, you know, get a decision quicker. Yeah, the uh, the situation was the running back had been ruled live to have fumbled. It was overturned on review to say that the running back had regained possession and was down. Uh, Tulsa went on to score the game-winning touchdown as a result. And then there was also another play in that same drive where the officials missed that a fourth down pass had skipped into the receiver. And that one I don't know how perhaps you can explain, but uh, I, I just know that obviously um, it's a game played by humans, coached by humans, and officiated by humans. 
Yeah, that's true. And then there again, there are sometimes that, you know, that's why we have the stand option on the play, uh, that they're, uh, you know, there may be a ruling on field, and I don't care how many cameras you have, you're just not get, you're not going to get the angle you need to confirm it. So, you know, there again, the premise on replay is that the original call on the field is correct, unless you have indisputable evidence to overturn it. So, uh, there, there, just, there is no perfect situation, but typically the more cameras you have, the better chance you have of getting the angle you need to confirm something. Hey, Joe, Rick Barnes said earlier today that one of his concerns about playing games is that there could come a, a, an issue where a couple of officials have COVID or contact tracing. They're only left with one official maybe, and they can't have a game with only one official. Had there been any close calls that you're aware of where a particular SEC crew had to be swapped out because of contact tracing or COVID? No, not uh, not really, Jimmy. They uh, we are tested, and I mean, I don't think it's you know it's a secret that the SEC officials, replay officials, uh, are all tested weekly, and uh, then you know. We put it in the FedEx box on Monday, and we get the results on Tuesday. So uh, it's, we've been very, you know, diligent in that. Uh, it's kind of taken a little bit of the, the fun out of it, I guess. We can't go to dinner together on Friday nights. All of our meetings are Zoom. Uh, there's 11 of us in a hotel, all in separate rooms, having our pregame, you know, on the Zoom meeting. And uh so, but we've been very, very careful. The chain crew, uh, the technicians in the replay booth are all on the same protocol and tested. So uh, we've been very fortunate and, like I said, we've been very diligent also about it. And even, uh, you know, we don't travel together. Uh, we even rent separate rent cars from the airport to the hotel. So it's that, it's that kind of uh I guess I'd say isolation, but anyway, we've just been very careful. So uh, we typically have one or two crews, uh, especially with the this schedule we have is, uh, you know, there's max seven ball games on a given Saturday, and we have nine crews. So, uh, you know, if someone you know does test positive, then you know we have the opportunity we can put them on a plane or put them in a car, and you know. Uh, Get them, get them to where they need to be. So we haven't had any major issues with a full crew or anything like that. So we've been very fortunate. Got a little bit over a minute left. I wanted to ask you this: on the collegiate level, is officiating become much harder in the last fifteen or twenty years because of the speed of the game, the athleticism of the players, and the hurry-up offenses? All three of the above. Yes, <laughs> they really have. Oh. Uh, it's just, and I was talking with a uh, uh, former player today that played back in the early 80s. And, uh, you know, back then, you know, a 250-pound uh, lineman was about standard, and now you have 250-pound running backs, 250-pound quarterbacks, and they can run. They really can. The speed is just phenomenal. And then, you know, you talk about the, the hurry-up offense that has made – replay uh, very challenging it really has because you've got to decide and that's where the regardless if you have collaborative or not 
uh, with these hurry-up offenses, the, the replay official in the booth has got to decide. Usually he may have 10 seconds to decide if he needs to shut the play down, you know, and, and that's that's one of our major goals is not not get beat on a snap, get it shut down before the next snap. So, But, yes, all three of those have made yeah. on the field and in the replay booth very challenging. Hey, Gerald, we always appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Have a great week. Uh, safe travels if you're on the road, and we look forward to catching up with you next Monday. That sounds great. I enjoy it. You all to be safe. Thanks, All Gerald. right. You as well. That's Gerald Hodges joining us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates Hotline and his appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember.